evening, everyone. Welcome to Element City Church. We are thrilled to have you here. Thrilled if you're joining us online and taking the, uh, a challenge just to be here, whether you're online or here in person. I've already met a few new people, so welcome. We know it takes courage coming to a new place. I uh, wanted to let you know, those of you who are in the room, we are doing communion tonight at the end of the message, and there's a couple tables straight back. The aisles there that you are welcome to go get one of these. Uh, we affectionately call them the communion lunchable, uh, and you are welcome to grab those. If you are at home, you can uh, maybe find different supplies that you could use for communion and join us and join in for that. Um, But glad you're here. Everybody doing okay? It's Sunday night. Your weekend's almost over. We'll get to wrap it up and worship and have a lot of fun tonight. And then we're going to have a great work week ahead. It's going to be awesome. Yes, yes, it's going to be awesome. So we, uh, we're leaning into that. We believe in that. So um, just thrilled to have you here. If you happen to be new, we'd love to invite you to download our free church app. You can get that in your app store if you go to that. Just look up Elements City Church. Download that. And if you happen to be new, we'd love to connect in a couple different ways around here. So you can either text the word hello to our text number, which is 520-340-6868. Uh, or you can go down on the church app and just hit connection card and you can follow along that way. Uh, also, one of the things on the app, if you want to follow along, if you like taking sermon notes or just kind of follow along with that, uh, if you scroll down far enough, far enough, far enough, far enough, uh, like a southern accent. There. Okay, so anyway, far enough, then you would find uh, sermon notes and you can click and follow along there. So, uh, we are thrilled every week to pray for the Church of the Week, and tonight is Pantano Christian Church, which is very special to us because they are kind of like our mama church. They helped launch us here into Midtown, and so we want to pray for Pastor Trevor DeVage uh, and the whole team over at Pantano. And uh, so if you're here in the room, just going to invite you to stand. We're going to worship a little bit, look into God's Word, and end with some worship tonight. If you're online, you can stand if you want. So let's pray. God, we're grateful to gather together as your church, grateful uh, whether we're here in the room or online. We just want to pause for the next hour or so and just lean into your presence. Jesus, we want uh, to experience you and your spirit tonight in a way that would refresh and encourage our hearts as we look into your word, as we wrap up this series. God, we pray for Trevor and the whole team at Pantano. It's a special place to us, and we know their heart is to reach people who are far from you, uh, to help connect them to Jesus and launch them into passionate people. And so we pray for your provision, your direction, your wisdom and discernment for them. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reach that they can have in our city is one of the larger churches in Tucson. Father, would you continue to leverage your church, not just Pantano, but us and their whole church across the city to reach the million plus people that are not connected into any faith community. Father, you have a heart for people and we wanna see people find the hope and love that's found only in Jesus. And so tonight, we want everything to be about him and these next few songs that we worship, would you let our attention be in your direction? in a way that would stir the affection in our heart for who you are, Jesus, and all that you have for us this evening. So we pray your blessing over this next few moments together. We pray that we'd hear from you, leave here different. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God who 
was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. God who saves, we sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross, then he rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out. Quiet. We shout out your praise. Let's 
present in this moment that you're here in this room and that you're already at work in our hearts and God there's there's a message that you want to speak to every one of us tonight there's something that each person who's here that you have uniquely designed us to need to hear something from you and that's why uh, you've led us to this moment and you've led us into this place we believe that Lord and so God it's just my prayer that you would till the soil of our hearts that you would open our hearts to receive that word whatever it may be whatever distractions whatever things may seek to get in the way to keep us from hearing your voice to keep us from experiencing your presence we pray against that and we just ask that you and your holy spirit would have complete freedom to do what only you can do tonight and that's to find the dead spaces in our hearts and to make them alive. 
You're the wonder-working God. And Lord, I know that there's people in this room who need to see wonders take place in their life. And so God, would you do that? Whatever it is, whatever burdens we carry, whatever thoughts are weighing us down, if there's something that we need to experience from you, God, would we find that? Would we just seek after that with all that we have and not stop until we see you move in the way that you say that you can? So God, I just, man, help us, help us to experience all that you have for us. It's so easy for us to settle for good enough when you've got something better. And so often we're just, we're not willing to do the work. We're not willing to press in the way that you want us to. And so tonight, just lead us to that place where we can press in and go deeper, that we can have that prayer of the song we sang before, that you would lead us into those deeper waters, God, to that place beyond the old familiar shore, the place where we have to be relying upon your grace. And for those of us who are in the midst of that moment, God, may we enjoy it. May we just enjoy uh, knowing that you are with us, knowing that, that you guide us through all of it. So Jesus, it's just my prayer. Would you anoint Jack as he comes to speak tonight? Let his words be the words that we need to hear. Would you mark out a moment for each and every one of us, something that he says, just whether it's a sentence, a whole paragraph, whatever it is, God, you know, help us to hear what we need to hear from you. And so would you just take a moment to pray for yourself if you're up for it. Just ask God to show you something tonight. Ask God to speak to you. you would take a moment to pray for Pastor Jack and ask God to anoint him, to speak through him. And Jesus, we sing these songs to prepare our hearts, to get us into a place where we're ready for your word. We're ready. Would you speak to us now? I give you all of our trust, all of our love, all of our affection. And we pray in your precious and your holy name. You can have a seat. Amen. Amen. Friends, uh, we come to the end of this series that we've been in, uh, looking at how do we get a handle on our thought life? How do we begin to get a healthy perspective when it comes to our thoughts? And we've been looking at a whole bunch of different things over the last three weeks, and tonight's kind of marks the end of that. So a quick recap as we dive in, that we all battle kind of broken soundtracks, uh, things that were either said at you or said over you or said to you, things that you've kind of bought in for yourself, maybe mantras of the world that you've bought into and pursued after, things that you thought, okay, this is going to lead me to the good life, and yet it doesn't take you anywhere near that. Maybe it's just lies of the enemy that he whispers to us, and, and we kind of pursue after them, and, and yet they're, they're hollow uh, in what they promise. And so what we talked about is this idea of if you could change your thinking, you can actually begin to change your life. And the scripture has so much to say about our thought life, and maybe more than you've ever actually considered or leaned into. And so uh, 
what the scripture has to say about our thought life can actually begin to lead us toward the best kind of life. And so if you've missed anything, I just want to invite you to go back. We kind of took a lot of this uh, material content from obviously the scriptures, but really from Craig Grishel's book called Winning the War in Your Mind. And I just, again, want to recommend it. If this has stirred some things in you where you'd like to do some kind of homework for yourself, their life, what we said is our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And if, if it's moving that way, we want to make sure that it's a healthy way that it's moving. Because if it's not, it's actually taking you on a trajectory away from how you want to live. And so we've run out of books uh, that we had available here. So just, uh, there's this thing called Amazon. Yeah, uh, you can get it uh, from there. So like you should look that up and, and look into that. The other thing I'm going to recommend, um, and uh, <coughs> Steve Cuss is a, a guy that uh, we've kind of begun reading some of his material. and re- He's a pastor of a church in Colorado. Uh, he has a brand new journal out called the Calm Aware Present Journal. He writes about anxiety and how do you deal with anxiety. And so we, I got this for our staff, and we're kind of, it's a 12-week journal. You can look at it. Uh, his, his, uh, his website is the best website ever. It's called stevecusswords.com. I just think that's the greatest website ever. So, like, you could go look at, he's got videos on there and things on there. He's done some podcasts. Um, we just, uh, we're, we're big fans, and I just, he's been helpful to me as I deal uh, with leadership anxiety, which is anxiety in my own self, and just some good healthy practices with that. Because tonight, we're kind of wrapping up this series and looking at how do you deal with anxiety that comes your way? Because what you think actually shapes who you are and who you're becoming, and, and you want to be healthy and whole. I know that you, that you do, and, and I do also. The Kind of the frame verse for this whole series has been uh, Romans 12.2. It says this, listen, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, or I love how the New Living says it. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way you think. That the way we think actually begins to shape our life. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so week one was all about this idea of recognizing the recognized principle. We've got to recognize the strongholds that we've either bought into, either ways of the world or lies from the enemy or things that we've kind of allowed to sink into our soul. We've got to recognize the strongholds and begin to push back with the truth of Scripture. We've got to understand we've got to do that. We've got to rewire our brains, so to speak. We talked about the power of neural pathways and how when you think a thought and you continue to think that thought, it just kind of creates this neural pathway and you don't change by just behavior. You actually have to recreate or create a whole new neural pathway to begin to experience the change and transformation that Jesus wants to do in your life. So even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think some of the principles we're talking about could be really helpful and healthy for you. But especially if you're a follower of Jesus, what he's talking about is Jesus's truth. We're going to dig some trenches of truth that actually begin to change the neural pathways in us. And then we looked at last week at this idea of the reframe principle. How do we take the negative things that have happened in life and the negative things we have to navigate in life and begin to reframe it and maybe see God was more present than we gave him credit for? Maybe even protecting us from even ourselves in a way that he was at work. And that, uh, sociologists talk about this as cognitive reframing. How do you go about reframing things that you've experienced or things that have unfolded to you? And tonight, I want to look at this rejoice principle. 
Uh, The rejoice principle is this idea that we are in a battle, we're in a fight, and with this, what the scriptures kind of say over and over, and we'll look at a few different places tonight, is that prayer and praise are some of the best weapons we have to fight back against anxiety or the causes that begin to stir up things within us. And so if we can learn to rejoice, even in the midst of our trials or the troubles that we face, we can actually make progress. We are an anxious people. In fact, if you were to think for yourself, how would you rank yourself when it comes to anxiety? From a one being, don't care about nothing, I'm never worried, to a 10 being, I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed, okay? Where would you rank yourself, maybe in the season of life you're in right now? Maybe you've been in rougher seasons, maybe you've been in lighter seasons, but where would you rank yourself right now? According to a New York Times article a few years back, Americans are among the most anxious people on earth. Think about that. We're one of the most blessed countries on earth, yet we have a high dose and high level of anxiety that we face. We spend billions of dollars every year on anti-anxiety medicine and additional millions for fun research, all dealing with anxiety. Time magazine, actually a few years back, devoted a whole cover story to teen anxiety. The headline was this, the kids are not all right. American teens are anxious, depressed, and overwhelmed. And the study goes on to to declare a few things. One expert saying, if you wanted to create an environment to churn out angsty people, well, we've done it. One teenager explained her story. We're the first generation that cannot escape our problems at all. We're all like little volcanoes. We're getting this constant pressure from our phone, from relationships, and just the way things are underneath the surface pressuring us. Can you identify with what she's saying? One editor note in a recent article talked about anxiety and kind of the argue for it. It says, as depression was for the 1990s, so it seems we've entered the age of anxiety. Now, here's the fascinating thing. All of those articles were written before 2020. Now, what have we just gone through? What are we still recovering from? A ramping up of all of that. So this is written before all of those things and the anxiety and the angst that that people carry around and have to navigate. So it's just heightened since then. It's really easy at times, if we're honest, to feel overwhelmed by the things that are happening. But as followers of Jesus, we must continually re-anchor ourselves to the truth of Scripture that basically says this, when you've had enough, remember that God is enough. Not only is God enough, he is always near. We must stay mindful of his presence because prayer and praise actually can begin to change your mind. And if you can transform your thinking, you can actually begin to change your life. What the scriptures begin to show over and over, we get this from the apostle Paul who writes, uh, remember from prison, (laughs) remember that, Uh, to the church in Philippi. Here's his words in Philippians chapter four. You've heard this before perhaps. If not, these are life-giving words. Here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. I'm sorry, did I read that right? Uh, Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. Oh, no, no, that's right, I'm sorry, that's right, I read the wrong word. Rejoice in the Lord always, I'll even say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. 
The Lord's not far. The Lord's not distracted. The Lord is not distant. The Lord is near. So do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, not the peace of the world, not the peace of your circumstances, not your peace that you're trying to manufacture. The peace of who? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we praise, rejoice, when we pray, the peace of God begins to invade the anxiety within our own hearts, within our own soul, within our life, and disperses it. Not automatically, and I'm not saying that if you struggle with anxiety, you shouldn't look for other additional help in that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that anxiety that happens in life to every single one of us, the scriptures declare that there is a peace of God that is available to those that will put themselves in a position to receive it and do some of the work to put themselves in a place to be open to it. So think about the threats or, or the triggers that happen in life that begin to stir up panic or, excitement or anxiety within you. Uh, maybe it's situations like not being able to control your future. Maybe for some of you who are in school, it's a bad grade or a scale that tells you you're five pounds over what you should be. Someone who gives you a funny look. A friend who takes their sweet bippy time replying to your text. Days later, you're still waiting for, anyone get anxious about this? You're like, I texted you and you're ghosting me. I don't know, do you want to be friends anymore? I don't, and there's anxiety, especially with Gen Z, around this idea of like, what is happening to this relationship? And maybe your preteen who is texting members of the opposite sex, oh, okay, I'll be fine. Um, uh, a call from the doctor or the mechanic. The bills begin to pile up and the bank account goes lower. A conversation with your mom that reveals that she's further into dementia than maybe you thought at first. Maybe your boss who walks around your office or the thought that you might be failing in life. I don't know what your trigger is. Here's what I do know. You have one. And you might have more than one. That begins to stir up anxiety within you. See, we've said that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And if you get caught up in the cycle, uh, the cyclical pattern uh, of anxiety begin to taking you to a place where you don't want to go, you end up experiencing the life that you don't want to experience. See, the good news is that we can begin to retrain our brains. We begin to think different. Uh, there's a little almond-shaped part of your brain called the amygdala. Here's the fun thing about amygdala. You should just Google this later and look at it. The amygdala is a small, small part of your brain, and it's actually in charge and responsible for your emotions and your survival instincts. Uh, when you are afraid, your amygdala will light up like a pinball machine. Speaking of that, anyone have a pinball machine in their home? I've always wanted one. Okay, total side note. Um, Producing, the amygdala produces kind of this fight or flight syndrome within your body. The amygdala deploys a whole flood of adrenaline and prepares your body for action. And that's a really good thing if you're on a hike and there's a venomous snake that's there coiled up ready to strike and you move out of the way quickly. But that's a terrible thing when your friend doesn't get back to you and your text and you're left with this adrenaline surging through your body and beginning to create worst-case scenarios in your own mind because you don't know what to do with what you're feeling. 
Does that make sense? Your amygdala doesn't know the difference. Your amygdala is actually smart when it comes to fight or flight situations, but it's actually really dumb. And it begins to stir your body, your body, my body, in ways because it's not objective. And the way it responds to a noise at night is the same way it responds to a notification on your phone. See, you need adrenaline if there's an intruder in your home, but you don't need it if you're getting a text from your bank, or you don't need it if you're having a strife with a friend and you actually need to be calm and reflective about how you respond. You don't need the adrenaline rush in that moment. I was walking earlier this week, and uh, like I normally do, I'm, I'm walking early in the morning, and out of the corner, have you ever had like, something totally freak you out, and then you realize people are around? Like, you didn't see the people ahead of time, and you're like, bah! like that type thing. I mean, not that I did that, uh, but like, I was walking, and I had this kind of freak out moment, because I saw something in the bushes that looked like a wild, rabid coyote, and my amygdala lit up like a pinball machine. It was like, you've got to run! And then I realized it was actually just a husky dog, um, that the owner was coming out and they were going to go for a walk. And I've seen this dog, I've pet this dog, and it's just that dog. Um, but like, at the initial reaction was like, it's a wild rabbit coyote, i got to run. And my, my whole body began to have, and this all happens in a split second. Anyone ever had a freak out moment like that? Maybe it wasn't a coyote for you. Maybe it was a neighbor that you didn't want to see. I don't know what it is for you. But like maybe you had that moment. But see, wait, you have another part of your brain that actually helps you. It's your prefrontal cortex, which is actually the logical part of your brain. So the amygdala gets hijacked in a moment of freak out, fight or flight. And then the prefrontal cortex goes, oh, no, 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 dummy. That's just a husky, not a wild rabbit coyote that's going to rip you from limb to limb. Okay. And all of that happens within a split second. If you want to think about it, think about your amygdala as your twitchy, amped up, over-caffeinated, over-stimulated, always on edge cousin. And think of your prefrontal cortex as your thoughtful, level-headed, realistic, even-tempered uncle with a law degree. You need both of them to function in life to do well. That's why in the middle of the night, if you hear a noise in your house, your amygdala screams, there's someone in the house! They're going to kill you! And your prefrontal cortex <coughs> clears its throat, and says, it was the cat. Go back to bed. Your pre and your amygdala yells back, grab the baseball bat under your bed. You have to go fight the killer in your house. And your prefrontal cortex says, listen, try decaf for a second. It's just the cat. Go back to sleep. See, you need both of these, and it's the way your brain works. It's the way you're wired. It's the way I'm wired. Now, when you face moments of anxiety, or anxiety gets triggered, or begins to stir up some things in your life, you, in those moments, we need to remember some things anchored as people of faith. Now, if you're not a person of faith, maybe you're just investigating Jesus, I think there's some really good truth in this. I think there's some really helpful truth in this. But if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, there's some foundational truth here for you and for me, as we navigate through the world in which we all live, and the anxiety that will pop up and stir up within your life and within mine, that in those moments, we begin to lean in and practice and begin to punch back a little bit with some truths that we see in Scripture.
See, if you've had a freak out moment or a moment where you felt overwhelmed, there are people in the scriptures that have done that as well and experienced in those moments that same thing. In fact, I want to encourage you to read through the story of Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19. Because in this story is an amazing look into one of the men of God that we read about in the Old Testament. We go, man, we want to be more like Elijah. But I think we forget this moment, this season that he navigated when anxiety got the best of him. See, what was crazy is that Ahab was the king and Ahab had put out this hit list against Elijah and said, Elijah, I'm going to take you out. And he had actually sent bands of these small armies to conquer him, and yet God protected Elijah in that. And there was 850 prophets of Baal who were kind of following after this false god of the land, and Elijah sent calling people back to, uh, to the God of Israel and saying, no, and they have this like dance battle, but it's not a dance battle. It's like this battle of like calling down fire from heaven to burn up the offerings that are laid upon there. And 850 prophets of Baal, like they chant all day, Day. They, they, and then Elijah's even taunting them like, hey, maybe your God's on the pot and maybe he's distracted and you should you know, like just yell louder. And they do all these things and nothing happens. Why? Because Baal's a false God. And then Elijah sets up this offering. He pours water all over this. There's no way it should light up on fire. And he says a simple prayer. God, would you just show yourself to your people? And God sends fire down from heaven and burns up the entire thing. Laps up all the water in the trench, like stuff that should not happen, happened. And Elijah's on cloud nine in a sense. God showed up and showed out in a powerful way. And he's taken out all these prophets of Baal, these false prophets who are pulling the people of God away from God. And then Ahab's wife, Jezebel, who's like evil on steroids, says, all right, well, if, uh, my, if my husband can't do it, then have a woman do what a woman should do. I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And that's like the last straw for Elijah. He just had this incredible victory. And then all of a sudden, what we read in 1 Kings 19 is Elijah's on the run for his life. And he's allowed anxiety to overtake him. And he gets to a point in 1 Kings 19.4 where he lays down under a tree and he says the words that maybe you've wrestled with or even begin to contemplate in your life when you've gone through some major, major struggles. And he actually says the words, God, take me out now. I just want to die. Which is crazy because what he's trying to avoid is a woman who's trying to kill him. And that's what he's actually asking for uh, in this moment. Like, anxiety drives you crazy. You don't even think about what you're actually saying in this moment. And here's what he says. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Like, it's this spiral. I've had enough. Like my ancestors, I'm worse off than them. They're actually, they're better off than me. It's like this spiral begins to go. Anyone ever struggle with that spiral in your own head? Maybe you begin to struggle, you notice these negative thoughts running through you and for you. It's, my life is so hard. I can never get it all done. No one understands me. I can't stand all this pressure. It's always going to be like this. You ever had a moment like that? where it begins to spiral into this way of thinking. And I just love the tenderness of God, because here's what you'll read in verses 15 through 18. Elijah falls asleep, and God sends an angel to wake Elijah up, but first this angel cooks him breakfast. And Elijah wakes up and he eats, and he goes back and takes another nap. 
And then the angel wakes him up again and cooks him more food and allows him to eat and wake this up. Listen, sometimes when you're emotionally spent or mentally fatigued or broken in your life, you need some protein and a nap. We tell our kids that when we know they've reached the end. Listen, for some of you, maybe you need a nap and maybe you just need some protein. And maybe, maybe the tenderness of God is meeting you or can meet you even in those moments. See, when we get fixated on the presence of our problems, we can lose our focus on the presence of God. When we get fixated on the, all the presence of all our problems, we can begin to lose our focus on the presence of God. It's like all your problems begin to pop up and it almost becomes like whack-a-mole. Anyone ever done whack-a-mole? Before, it's that weird thing with like, you know, fake moles come up and you have to whack them. And it's like problem, 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 problem. And we get fixated on all the problems in our life. And we forget about the presence of God in our life. In the midst of all the problems that are surfacing around us. And that's what had happened to Elijah. Elijah had literally seen God move in ways that no one had seen. God's presence was with him, and it was still with him in the midst. And he goes on this journey. It's like God's doing a reset moment for Elijah. And he gets Elijah to Mount Horeb, and and he goes by, and he says, Elijah, come out here. And there's an earthquake, and there's this massive wind, and there's this raging fire, and God didn't show up in any of those things. And yet then there's this still, small whisper. And God is in the whisper. And it changes and resets Elijah. And friends, my prayer for you, my prayer for us, is that we would be a people who would be able to lean in and hear the whisper of God. Because I think the tenderness of God wants to be on display when the anxiety of your life is ramped up. And in those moments, what we want is God to show up in an earthquake. And what we want is for God to show up in the raging fire or the massive wind. Like this massive display of him. And yet I think what we see in the story of Elijah is sometimes we just need a nap and we need some protein and we need the whisper of God to meet us in the moments of our deepest ache. And may you hear the whisper of God more and more in those moments that stir up things in you. Uh, I've been amazed at how God has done that for me in different times and different seasons and different struggles of life. And it all goes back to what Paul said. Choose to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. No, that's not what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it, rejoice. The Lord is what? Near. Don't lose sight of the presence of God when the presence of problems begin to rise up more around it and they start chirping like a bunch of chihuahuas around you. Don't forget the presence of God. Maybe one of the the faithful declarations we can make as a follower of Jesus is my experience plus God's presence is enough. My experience plus God's presence is enough. 
for the situations that I have to travel through. The Lord is close, he is near, he will never leave me nor forsake me. Nothing can separate me from his love, he is always with me. He strengthens me, sustains me, he watches over me, he guides me with his loving eye upon me. God is close, he wants to draw me closer to him and I will lean in and listen for his whisper. Why do you whisper to someone? Because you're close. A whisper is an intimate thing. We live in a world that shouts, but we follow a God who loves to whisper. And so may your heart be open to that. I love what the psalmist writes. Psalm 145 says this, The Lord is righteous in all his ways, faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on his name in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. Listen, and he hears the cry and he saves them. See, a game-changing reality is if it's big enough to worry about, then it's big enough to pray about. That's what we're seeing that the Apostle Paul is declaring for you. Praise and prayer. Make it a rhythm and a habit of your own life because it will actually help you in those moments when anxiety begins to rise up. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. A few decades ago, neurologists believed that the brain did not change after adolescence. That after adolescence, the brain was set and it could not change at all. But our brains are constantly evolving. That's what new brain research is declaring. Uh, neurosurgeons and neurologists call this process neuroplasticity. The idea that we can actually sculpt our brain and change is much like muscles. When you go to work out, I know I demonstrate huge muscles. Uh, when you work out, you actually change your muscle dynamic in that and you can actually do that with your brain. Prayer and praise changes things. Prayer and praise can actually change you. Prayer and praise can actually change your brain in a way that begins to help you. Dr. Andrew Nurberg is a director of research at Thomas Jefferson Hospital Medical College in Pennsylvania. He studies the brain by using neuroimaging techniques, including functional magnetic resonance imaging, single photon emission computed tomography, and posit or positron emission tomography. I'm going to keep it real. I have no idea what any of that means. But that seems like a really cool thing for him. Here's his conclusion. In the books and the articles he writes, one book, how, to, how God Changes Your Brain, he says this, the prayer and praise is like a physical workout for your brain and changes its chemistry. Uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf is an author of Switch Your Brain and a neuro, uh, kind of neurologist who studies the brain. She said this, 12 minutes a day on focused prayer over an eight-week period can change your brain to the extent that you can actually see it measured on a brain scan. Think about that. Your brain can actually change. See, if your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, then the, the kick here is that we actually get to partner with the Holy Spirit to be one who can actually begin to change that. And we can lean into the power and presence of God and begin to have that change. See, worrying and toxic thinking will change your brain and move your life in a direction you don't want it to go. But prayer and praise can actually change your brain and move you in a positive direction. So when you pray, it's God, I'm trusting you with this. Uh, I, I've been practicing what's, what's called, um, uh, it's called benevolent detachment when it comes to prayer. Uh, here's when I'm feeling overwhelmed, when I'm feeling like a, a rising up of anxiety within me. 
I know none of you struggle with it, but when I struggle with it at times, uh, in those moments, it's this practice of benevolent detachment. It's getting to a place of realizing, God, I can't handle everything that's coming my way right now. Every thought that uh, I'm thinking actually helps me, uh, like I'm beginning to feel overwhelmed, almost like one of those people that's in the river that's beginning to drown. And I don't want to be held captive by that. So in a benevolent detachment way, all of my family struggles that I'm having, all of the work things that I'm trying to work out and figure out the best possible way to move your church forward, every relationship that I have, God, I'm giving everything and everyone to you. I'm giving everything and everyone to you. I don't have to carry it. I am not sufficient to carry it. And I was never created to carry all of that on my own. And yet in our culture, it pushes back and says, you're the captain of your soul. You have to carry it. Listen, you have to pull your weight. You have to partner with what God is up to. But you are not created to be the God of your universe. That is above your pay grade. And it is above mine. And freedom comes when you can, in a benevolent, detachment way, recognize as a follower of Jesus, I don't have to carry that. God, I give everything and everyone to you. You alone are capable of carrying that, solving that, speaking into that, leading and guiding that. I want to partner with your spirit to do exactly what you're calling me to do and every ounce of it, but not one ounce more. Because you are the one who created the universe. You're the one who sustains it. We live and move and have our being in you. I woke up today because of you. I have life because of you. I have wisdom and discernment and expertise to bring and energy to bring because of you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And that is a beautiful posture to be at. That's not copping out. That's actually getting to a healthy place of saying, God, you, you got to be the heavy lifter. I want to lift and carry in partnership with you, but in partnership with you, not over you. See, pausing for a moment of prayer or pausing for a moment of praise, uh, of praying for God's activity and help and trusting him to carry you, uh, of maybe pausing to, to sing and lean into a worship song, to pause for a moment to praise God for all of who he is and everything that he does, that begins to reset our heart and to change our perspective in our mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That we've got to meet and you struggle there at times. See, practicing praise of God and prayer of God, it's, it's like what the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 4.16, let's approach the throne of God's grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Listen, you may not like the what of what's going on in your life, but you can always praise God for the who of who he is. You and I can always begin to lean into this, to recount the past activity of God. You see this all throughout the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 42 starts with, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. 
I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And by the end of Psalm 42, the psalmist has talked himself out of the downcastness of his own thought life and put praise back on who God is, and it's changed his perspective. And by the end of Psalm 42, there's a change in that. Psalm 103, Psalm 146, you'll see the exact same patterns. Why? Because it's transforming the way you think. Prayer and praising God changes our perspective. Prayer and praising God changes your brain in a way that you can exercise. See, if your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, and sometimes your strongest thoughts are beginning to stir up anxiety and getting you to a place of stuck, then I can actually do some things to begin to fight back against that and change that. See, what consumes your mind will control your life. And unfortunately, we forget that our mind is under attack. We live in a culture that is dominated in a way that's anti-God or against God's best. Uh, we live in a reality that we have an enemy who is trying to lie and detour people off of God's best and away from God himself. That is the work of the enemy. We started week one. Recognize, you've got to recognize the lies. Like, you've got to just see it around. Here's what First uh, Peter writes. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, listen, cast all of your anxiety on God. Why? Because God cares about you. That's a place you can cast your anxiety. You don't have to carry it around yourself. God, I can give it to you. You say you care about me. So I'm going to let you be the heavy lifter of that. And then immediately after that verse, here's what Peter says. Be alert. Be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. For someone to get sidelined and stuck in life. Be alert. Don't drop your guard. What's Paul saying in Philippians 4? Listen, don't be anxious. But in prayer, in thanksgiving, rejoicing, in praise, in prayer is really what he's saying. He's calling for us to make petitions and offers of thanksgiving. That's prayer and praise. I don't know if you've ever been a boxer before. Ever maybe gone to the gym and done some boxing. But here's what I do. I haven't, so I'm totally out of my league in this. But I do have cool-looking boxing gloves. Um, and in these boxing gloves, here's what the takeaway I want you to remember is that when you are doing in a fight, when you're in a battle with anxiety in your mind, when you're struggling with your thought lives and it's beginning to feel overwhelming to you, here's what a good boxer does. They keep their hands up to help protect themselves. Think of these boxing gloves as prayer and praise. Prayer and praise can actually begin to help protect you when the anxiety is becoming overwhelming and wanting to sideline you. If you and I can get in the habit of saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice prayer, I'm going to practice praise, even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to choose to do it. Why? Because I'm going to keep my hands up. That's what Peter's writing. Be alert. Don't drop your hands. The devil is prowling around looking for someone to devour. You resist him. And as you do, you can flee from him. It doesn't have to get you stuck in life. If your life, my life, is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts, then there will come moments when anxiousness, stress of the moment begin to rise up within you. And what you long for is the peace of God to meet you. Friends, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Don't be anxious, but 
present your request to God. Let your request be known to him. And the peace of God, not the peace of your circumstances, because it may not be peaceful, and not the peace that you try to manufacture, because you're probably not going to be able to manufacture enough, but the peace of God will begin to stand guard over your hearts. The peace of God that transcends all normal understanding will stand guard over your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul is declaring. And as we try to do battle with our own thought life, there will come seasons where you need to lean into prayer and praise. And so here's my invitation to you this week. To keep your hands up in prayer and praise. And you figure out what you need more of right now. For some of you, it may be that you listen to the radio as you drive to work and maybe you're in a, an anxious kind of moment. And for you, it's just, you know what? I need to pull up the playlist that's on the app and I need to listen to worship music on the way to work this week. Maybe it's as simple as that. I need to put more praise in my life because it actually begins to get my mind to be thinking about God and not just the stuff and the messages of the world around me. Maybe that's for you. For some of you, like prayer is something you do like once every week or so, but maybe for you, it's just saying, you know what? Five minutes a day. 12 minutes a day, according to research, of just, okay, I'm going to start actually keeping a prayer journal, and I'm going to start writing out my thoughts. I'm going to start asking God to be active in my life. And for you, 12 minutes a day might be something that can actually, over an eight-week period, change your brain, literally, where it can be measured and seen differently. So I don't know what that is for you, but a friend, I just invite you to lean into that as we are going to actually practice what we just preached. We're going to sing a couple songs here, end with some worship. We're just creating space and setting the table for you to actually have 12 to 13 minutes to praise God, to rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice, to pray and present your request to him, and that the peace of God would begin to transcend understanding for you Friend, I don't know everything that you're facing, but as the team begins to come, I, I just invite you that these next 12 minutes, that you just lean in and actually take advantage of this opportunity to say, God, it's not just praising you for singing through songs so that we can get to the sermon, but actually, I want to praise you. I want to focus my mind on who you are, everything you've done for me. As we take communion tonight, if you have that, I'm just going to invite you that somewhere in these next two songs, I'm going to invite you to take communion. We remember in communion uh, what Paul writes to the church in Corinth, that, that Jesus took the bread that night and that he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, that this is my body given for you, that you might find life in me. That he took the, the cup that night, he passed it around to his disciples. This is, this is for the forgiveness of sins. That your brokenness, the broken soundtracks that are part of your past, don't have to be a part of your present or future reality. And so during these next couple songs, it's not going to be a formal time where we're going to take it together. I'm just going to invite you, maybe as a couple, to do it together. Maybe as friends to do it together. Maybe just individually on your own, somewhere there's a lyric in one of these songs that just moves you, then you take a moment and just thank Jesus for the fact that he went to the cross on your behalf and that that is what can anchor you to the hope 
of Jesus. That not only are you worth being saved, you are worth continually saving because he loves you. And that he is enough for you. That when you feel like you've hit enough, Jesus is still enough even more for you. That his body given, his blood shed, for the forgiveness of your sins, for the reality that you get to do life with him forever and always. And so in this time, Jesus, we just commit that in this, these songs that we sing, we want a praise moment. We want a prayer moment. We want to re-anchor ourselves in communion. You said to do this in remembrance of you, Jesus. That even when we stopped or never even looked in your direction, you pursued us first. You pursued us all the way to the cross to demonstrate and prove your love for each one of us. And your resurrection proved that the check cleared and you made the way for us to have life with you. And so we remember in the taking of this bread, the drinking of this juice, the practice that Christians for thousands of years have engaged in to anchor ourselves again that you are enough for us. So Holy Spirit, in these next few moments, would you minister to our hearts? May we have an encounter and experience with you, we pray in Jesus' name.
Quickly, we've got a couple of announcements and then just one uh, song uh, at the end here. First of all, if you uh, partner with us financially, we just want to thank you for that. Um, it takes money to do ministry, and the money that you give allows us to do the day-to-day -day stuff that we get to do uh, to be a blessing to the community and to do what we do here as a church. So thank you for that. If you're looking to give, most people do that online. They do that through the church app. Uh, so if you're looking on how to do that, you can do that. But if you've got cash or want to write a check, there's some silver boxes that are in the back by the doors. You can drop those in there. Uh, really, there's not too much tonight. Just, uh, man, it's a great time to get involved in an e-group or a discipleship group. If that's something that you're craving, if you want some community, some connection, let us know. There's a sign-up sheet in the back for discipleship groups. We've got a couple people who are ready to start new groups uh, if anybody's looking for that uh, as well. So 10-minute uh, party's gonna be happening uh, after this last song. Jack and Karen are already in the back there. They'd love to meet you. Um, yeah, if this is your first time, you can go talk to the pastor. That's a cool thing. Like we try to be available to you to make sure that you know that this is what we're all about, that connection. So 10-minute party's happening there. Get that kettle corn, uh, you know, fill out the stuff. I don't know what they do back there. It's been a while since I've been back there, you know. Maybe we should all go hang out together, right? No? Jack's just like, sit this one out, Lyle. I understand. All right, so dinner tonight is going to be at La Paria Suiza up on Speedway and Craycroft. We always do dinner. If this is your first time, there are going to be people at the door who want to invite you. And there's a nasty rumor going around that there are people who will pay for you 
So if it's your first time going to dinner, they will buy your dinner for you because we, that's how much we believe in that connection. So make sure you talk to somebody at the door about that. Uh, other than that, let's all stand together. We're gonna sing a song because the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's what this song is all about. We're gonna fire it off and we're gonna have a good time and I hope you have a great week. Song of Thanksgiving is my battle. 